You're listening to The Fervent Life with Rhea Briscoe, an extension of Snowdrop Ministries. Please stay tuned as Rhea shares her heart with you and challenges you to go deeper with God. For more information on Snowdrop Ministries or Rhea Briscoe, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com. Let's join Rhea now as the teaching begins. I wonder if you've ever thought about the word barren. If I say the word barren to you tonight, what does that bring to mind? Uh, Do do you think of a barren womb? Uh, Some of you might think of a barren wilderness. Uh, But no matter what you think about, whether it's a womb or a wilderness, a a barren womb doesn't reproduce. It, It might conceive life, and hear me say that, it might conceive life, but it can't hold on to it. A barren wasteland is empty, it's desolate, it's lacking life, it's full of death. And so I just want you to think just for a moment a little bit about the word barren, because that's what our message is going to be about tonight. That, that word barren means just exactly what I said, empty, without life, desolate, unfruitful, bleak, and hopeless. I, I wonder if we have any barren people with us tonight. Uh, not that you would admit it because we're so super good about covering all that up, but I wonder if just between you and God right now, if you could just look into your heart and ask yourself, do we have any barren people here tonight? This isn't about your neighbor. It isn't about your spouse that you left at home. I wonder if just for a moment you could look in your own heart and say, Lord, is there any emptiness in me? Is there any part of my life that's lacking life? Is there, is there any uh, desolate wasteland in me? Are there areas of my life that look bleak and hopeless? Am, am I really failing to reproduce? Am I unfruitful? Does my life lack fruit? I wonder if there's any barren people here tonight, people who feel empty and lifeless, people who have experienced so much loss that it's left them feeling empty and alone, people who are going through the motions of Christianity and yet their life is barren and lifeless, people who genuinely love the Lord but just can't seem to tap into the life he promised us. Uh, people who, who have a chance at life but miscarry it. You, you start out really good in the morning, and by afternoon you've miscarried the life that God has conceived in you. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that feels desolate. Maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've, you've lost so many relationships, and it's left you feeling desolate and alone. And if that's you tonight... I've got a message for you, and it's a message of hope. Uh, The Christmas season is the Christmas season not all about hope. That's why the Savior came. He came because we were helpless and hopeless without him. He is indeed the indescribable gift. He's given us so much. He was born, as David said, to die. He He died so that you and I could be free. Christmas is not so much about a baby born in a manger, but it's about a baby who was born to die so that you and I could be free. He doesn't want us barren and hopeless. He doesn't want our life to be lifeless. He came that we would have life and have it more abundantly, his word says. Are you living barren? I got a story for you. 
Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 5. It's a long scripture, but I I want to read the whole thing to you. Luke chapter 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest. Somebody say a certain priest. A a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of of Abijah. Let's just say Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were outside praying in the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And I love especially the Amplified here. It says he was troubled and fear took possession of him. Oh, I just want you, I looked up that word possession and it means it owned him. It it means it took him over. It, it, it It means ownership. And I just think that there are some of you here that fear does that to you. You get troubled and fear takes possession of you. It takes over your life. And let me just tell you that there is only one owner of your life, and his name is Jesus. Fear cannot own you. You allow it to own you. You give yourself freely to it. But you need to do some talking back to the fear when it comes and tries to take possession of you. And you need to say, I belong to one. And he has not given me a spirit of fear. But I love that. He was troubled and fear took possession upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. For your prayer is heard, Zacharias, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I, I just need to stop there. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Can I tell you that we strive so much to be great in the sight of Susie down the street. But we, we, become, we, we strive so much to be great in the sight of our, our uh, employer. Or, or we just want people to think we're great. We want them to think we're all that in a bag of potato chips. We, we strive to become great in the sight of people. But, but, but can I just tell you that, that I want to strive to be great in the sight of God because you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God. And while I want other people to look at me and, and see the Christ in me, I really don't care. What I care about is, is am, I, am I great in the sight of God? Is he pleased with my life? He will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, the wisdom of the just, to make ready, oh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? 
that he's asking for a sign. Can, can, you, just, can you just tell me how am I going? Can you just prove to me that this is really going to happen? And I, I, just, I, I just love that because, it, you know, he's so much different than Mary in a couple verses. Mary, the angel, tells her something outrageous, and, and she just says, let it be unto me as, as you desire. She doesn't even question it. She, she just says, how, how can it be? Can you just explain how that's going to happen? Where Zachariah says, can you just prove it to me? Can you give me a sign? And I love, I love Gabriel's response. And, and he said, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. We are really old. And not only are we advanced in years, because I'm advanced in years, but, but we are well advanced in years, mega advanced in years. It means they're really, really, really old, super old. All right, make sure you catch that. We're well and How? <laughs> Can, can I just ask you, Gabriel, uh, do, do you know about menopause? <laughs> do, do you know about decreasing libido, Gabriel? I know you're an angel. I just want to make sure you got this. We are well, well advanced. Can, can you tell me how this is going to be? Prove it. And, and I, I just love Gabriel's response here. He says, and the angel answered him, and he said, Ah, and I believe this is how we said it. Ah. <laughs> And Gabriel, do, do you know who you're talking to? And you see, Zacharias would have known. He would have recognized the name Gabriel because he was a devout Jew. He would, he would have known that this is Gabriel who spoke to Daniel. He would have been taught that. And so when he heard the word Gabriel, do you know who I am? Oh, would you not have just given money to be there? I, all week long I've been studying this. And, and I've been studying the, you know, the Psalm 91. And, and he'll send his angels charge over you. So angels are front and foremost in my mind this weekend. And I sat, in my, I sat by my fireplace on the floor the other morning. And I was like, Lord, could, could I just get a glimpse? I, could, could you send a Gabriel to me? Or I just, do you not just want to be there? Does that just elicit anything anybody else besides me? An angel appeared to him. Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means whatever's happening in this word yesterday, I believe can happen to us today. I'm just being bold enough to ask for it, are you? I mean, you'll hear it when it happens, but, but, but I, I just love reading about it, if nothing else. Do you, can you picture it? See, we've read these stories so many times. I want you to picture how old Zacharias and Elizabeth are. I want you to think about our lives, and, and what does that really mean? You're going to have a baby. You're going to conceive a baby at this age. Now, come on. Do I need to explain it to you? Or are you with me? Are you with me? And so he's standing there, and this big old honking angel is standing beside him, and he has the nerve to talk back. I, I just wonder how, how that happened. And he must have been just astounded by what he heard. Well, are you telling me we, we, we are going to have a baby? <laughs> right. He says, I am, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Oh, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. I, I got some good news for you, and it's coming straight from the presence of God. He sent me to tell you this, and how dare you say, how can this be? And, and so, uh, behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. I love the King James. It doesn't say mute and not able to speak. It says, you'll be dumb. <laughs> That just makes me chuckle. I do not love God's word. Okay, dummy. You, 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 have, the question, you have the nerve to question me. I, I'll, I'll give you the sign. You're going to be dumb. Er. 
You're not going to be able to speak until the, the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. Oh, church, I'm just going to tell you, I know I preach this to you all the time, but this word is yea and amen to those who believe. I, I, I just am going to tell you, I, I've had it with people saying that you, you can't manipulate God. It's not about manipulating God. It's not about saying you need to perform for me, God. It's not about taking his word and saying you have to do this. It's taking him at his word. It's not saying, now, God, I'm holding this word up to you. Do what I tell you to do. It's, it's you saying, God, you told me you do this. And I believe, Lord. I believe. I, one of my favorite scriptures is the Lord God did as he pleased. <laughs> he, he's going to do as he pleases. You cannot manipulate God with his word. But you can hold his word up and say, this is what you said, God. And I understand you're going to do as you please. But I'm just standing on your word because you told me to. You said if, 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 if you ask anything according to my will, it will be given to you. His will is his word. And he says to Zacharias, because you did not believe what I said, you did not believe my words to you. Church, we've got to start believing his word to us. We believe the enemy's word to us, but we don't believe God's word. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out and could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Can you imagine having to stay there and complete your days of service knowing what you know? I, I wonder, this is just the way my mind thinks, when he got home to Elizabeth and he, oh, Lord, let it rain. And he got home to Elizabeth and he couldn't talk. I just wonder how he even told her. I, I just wonder. Did he just say, let's just go, buddy? I, can you just imagine? <laughs> now, after these days, oh, somebody say, now after those days, oh, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. To take away my, approach among, my reproach among people. Now, I have to set the setting here for you. This story takes place when, when Luke is writing the Gospels follow a time, and hear me say this, uh, they, they follow a time that's known as the, the years of silence. Are, are you familiar with that? The, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. And, and, and then there are 400 years of silence where we don't hear from God, where the people, have, where God has been silent. He hasn't said anything. There's not been a prophet. You see, prophets, are, they spoke the word of God. They had the word of God to give to the people. There were no prophets. God was silent. Heaven was silent for 400 years. Time between testaments. That, that's what happened. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke kick in, and, and, and that's where the stories pick up. So, so remember, when Luke is starting this book, it's after the, all these stories that take place come after those 400 years 
of silence. This week, I've just been struggling this week with my time with the Lord. I've been going, I've been getting up, but it's been dry. And I've been saying, Lord, where are you, buddy? And can you just speak to me? I need to hear your voice. And I don't know about you, but there was nothing more miserable for me than to have those two days where I didn't feel like I heard from heaven. I felt like it was shut up. I felt like God was silent and I was miserable. I would have moved, I would have, I would have done anything to hear from him. But it was silent. I, I wonder if it's ever been silent for you. Some of you feel like it's been 400 years of silence from God. It's miserable. I can't imagine what it must have been like for those people, God's chosen people, to not hear from him for 400 years. And what's interesting to me is that Luke picks this story up, and where are they? In the temple. And that tells me that they're still going through the religious motions. God is silent. He's not speaking. They're not hearing from him, but they are still going through religious motions. Oh, church, can I just tell you? That there are some of us who, who we are just going through the religious motions. We're showing up at church. We're doing our duty. But it's been heaven is silent. We're not hearing from God. And he does not want it to be that way. And so that is the, the atmosphere that Luke breaks into here. The, the, uh, the Jewish people are in a time of oppression and, and they're under the, the, the kingship of Herod and, and the rule of the Romans. And, and it's just nasty time in their life. And, and Herod is brutal and he's paranoid and, and he's just a nasty king. He's so worried about losing his throne. That's why you know the story where he went through and he killed all the baby infants because he was looking for Jesus because he heard the Messiah was rising up and he was going to steal his throne is what he thought he was nasty he was callous and ruthless and and Luke is drawing that picture and he's letting you know what's taking place here and then in the midst of all of that he begins to talk about a priest named Zacharias and he said this Zacharias was a good man he was blameless he kept he 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 loved the Lord that word blameless doesn't mean he was without sin it just meant that he really tried to live right he tried to please God in what he did. And so in the midst of talking about Herod and how awful he was, he begins to, to introduce a man named Zacharias. I don't want you to miss that he starts that passage out saying a certain man. I can take you to, to scripture after scripture after scripture where it begins by saying a certain man or a certain woman was there. And when I read that this week, it was like the Lord had it highlighted and, and lights blinking. And, and he was like, Rhea, don't miss that word certain man. Because can I just tell you, there were lots of priests during Zacharias's time. I think there was 18,000 to 20,000 priests during that time. And, and, and there were lots of men during that time. But, but this one is about a certain man. Okay. Can I just tell you that he knows your name? He, he knows your name, Adam. He knows your name. You, you are a certain man. You, when, when God wants to do something in your life, he, he's not just up there saying, oh, this is all mankind as a whole. He says, no, there's a, a certain woman. There, there is a certain man. He knows your name. He knows your individual needs. He knows everything about you. The Bible says before a word is on your lips. He knows it completely. You are a certain man. You're not one of many. I don't care if you're in the back row or the front row. God knows your name. He knows your need. 
And this was a certain man. Look at what the scripture says there and how many times Luke in one verse says there was a man named Zacharias and his wife named Elizabeth. Don't miss that. When you're studying the word of God, look for those things that repeat. Uh, There's a reason that Luke is using that word name. Uh, That should trigger something in you and you should say, well, maybe I should look up those names. Maybe it's important for me to see those names. Uh, That word name in the Greek, it means this. The name is used for everything which the name covers, everything the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, or remembering the name. Now stay with me. The the Jews took naming their children really, really seriously. It wasn't like a random, let's name Maria. What was my mom thinking? diarrhea, gonorrhea, I've been called it all. I, I just don't know what she was thinking. It was a random name. But the Jews, they took naming their children very, very seriously because they believed that a name, that's why the names of God are so important. That's why the names of Jesus are so important because the the name said what their character was like. It, It told you about them before you ever got to know them. Names were important to Jews. And so the fact that this man is named Zacharias and his wife is named Elizabeth, and this is Luke writing this, he wants you to to park there for a moment. So let's do that. The, the, the word Zacharias, the name Zacharias, and if, you, if you're taking notes, write this down because we're going to come back to it. The name Zacharias means the Lord remembers or Yahweh remembers. The name Elizabeth means oath of God, or my very favorite, my God is an absolute faithful one. Oh, do you love that? My God is an absolute faithful one. That's what her name means. Every time somebody would have said, hey, Elizabeth, she, that, that, what, he, what, what would have been brought to mind, what would have been remembered is her God is an absolute faithful one. Every time Elizabeth said Zacharias, she would have, she would have thought to herself, the Lord remembers He remembers me. Do do you just love that? Do you love the the way that works? And and two become one. So let's put the husband and wife together there. And together their name would would mean the Lord is faithful to remember his oath. That's going to be vital in this story. The Lord is faithful to remember his oath. Does anybody know that the Lord is faithful to remember his oath? He means what he says. Now, now, Zacharias was a priest, and, and that's a big deal. It was, it was a great honor to be a priest in Bible times, and, and you had to be born in a priestly family. You didn't just say, I'd like to be a priest. Could, is there seminary or what kind? You had to be born into a priestly family, and so it was a great honor to be a priest. Not all priests were, were as righteous and, and blameless as Zacharias, but, but it was an honor to be a priest. And, and what really made it hotsy-totsy is that Zacharias could have... He could have married anybody he wanted. But, but the fact that he married Elizabeth, and she was from the, the, the priestly family of the lineage of Aaron. Anybody know who Aaron was? Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was the first high priest. The fact that she came from that lineage was hotsy-totsy. And now, not only was he a hotsy-totsy priest, he was married to a woman of great standing. He was married to good stock. <laughs> they looked pretty good. When people saw him, oh, there's, there's Zechariah. I said, do you know that his wife is from the line of Aaron? I mean, it was a big to-do. 
that would have elevated them in society right there. That, that, was, that was just good stuff. And so keep that in mind as we read through this. But, but, but you see, it says they were both righteous and, and they were blameless in keeping the commands and the ordinances of God. But look at verse 7 because we got a but. And can I just tell you that we've always got a but. There's always a but, is there not? But, the word says, they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was what? Barren. What does barren mean? Empty, desolate, not able to reproduce. She was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. You see, this is an issue. And I wonder if anybody here has any issues tonight. We all have issues, do we not? And this was their issue. And, and while they came from good stock, while their relationship looked incredible, while they looked really good to the community because they were so blameless and righteous, and, and he was such a good priest, and, and they had everything. It looked really good from the outside. But, but here's the clincher. She was barren. And could not have a child. You say, well, Rhea, what's the big deal? They had each other. Oh, it was a huge deal. Because you see, in Bible times, if a woman was barren, her whole identity, a woman's whole identity in Bible time was tied up to whether or not she could reproduce. Whether or not she could give her husband a son and carry on the name. Remember the command from God to be fruitful and multiply. They took that seriously. And so this was a big deal. It was a very shameful thing. That's why she said, God took away my reproach. She, she would have been shamed over this. She would have been made to feel like she was less than. She probably lived in fear that Zacharias would take another wife who could reproduce for him. And, and people would have talked and they would have said, well, because you see, they didn't just believe that, that God said be fruitful and multiply. They believed that if you had a child, it was because God blessed you. And if you didn't have a child, what, was, what must that mean? That God was punishing you for something. And so, oh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, you can look like you're all that in a bag of potato chips. You can perform really well at church. You can look blameless and righteous, but we know you don't have a child. And that's all that matters. Elizabeth's worth and her value would have been tied up in whether or not she could have a child. Now she can't, so what does that mean? Because isn't that what it's like for us? It's all about what we can produce in our life, how well we can do something, or how we look in other people's eyes, and what people think about us, and, and are we measuring up? Do we have their approval? Have we met their inspection? Did we come through with flying colors? And what must they be saying about us? You see, that is the root of shame in our life. And, and there's so many today in the church that, that are still covered by shame, covered by a cloak of shame feeling like they've never measured up, feeling like they are, are under the scrutiny of somebody else and, and they can never measure up. What must people be thinking about me? They, they can't even be comfortable in a conversation because they're worried about what that person might be thinking. They can't stand up and say what's really on their heart because, oh no, what if they get mad at me? And what if I don't get their approval? What if I'm not good enough? 
What if I disappoint yet another person? And that was, that was Elizabeth. Can you imagine month after month getting her hopes up that maybe, just maybe, this will be the month that God blesses us. And then, bam, she, it, it's another letdown. It's another disappointment. Oh, no, what must Zacharias be thinking? Does he still love me? Does he think I'm less than a woman? Oh, what is the community saying about me? Oh, church, we care way too much what the community is saying about us. There is a place of great freedom when we can say, this is who I am. God says I measure up. Oh, one of the team members prayed tonight, and it just blessed my heart so much. I wish I could remember exactly what they said. But but they said, Jesus, you thought I was worthy of dying for. I, I, I have value and worth just because you said I was worth dying for. Do you understand? He said you were worth dying for. Oh, I, I got to tell you, I love my kids. I love my man. But but push comes to shove. Would I die for them? That's my own family. This is God of the universe saying that you are worth so much that I'm going to die for you. And yet we put more value on what Sam at work and Susie down the street have to say about us. And we let them shame and heap shame and make us feel less than. You see, that's where perfectionism comes from. Perfectionism says that, that maybe if, if I, I'm going to prevent the possibility of further shame by, 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 by aiming for perfection in everything I do. Maybe if I, I look good enough, maybe if my house is clean enough, maybe if I look put together enough, you know, then I can't be shamed. I'm going to protect myself from further shame. That's where a critical spirit comes from. Maybe I feel such shame on the inside about myself and my failures and and my lack of measuring up and and my feelings of worthlessness that if I'm critical about you and I point out all your flaws and your failures, then you won't look on me. I got the upper hand. That's where the, the overly sweet men and women come from because if I'm just sweet as can be and I never offend you and I never ruffle your feathers and everything's always peachy keen honky dory with me and there's never any conflict then then you know what it increases my worth because you'll think I'm better because really on the inside I've been shamed and I don't feel worth anything that's where people who withdraw come from. It's a shame-based identity because we, we don't want to feel how worthless we really feel on the inside, so we numb it with drugs or with alcohol. We isolate ourselves. We stay in bed all day because as long as I don't have any contact with anybody, there's no possibility of me feeling worse about myself than I do right now. Are you following me? Shame, reproach is something that, that is, is, is paralyzing the church today. That baby in the manger came not just to free you from your sin and guilt. Do you know what else he came to free you from? Your shame. In Bible times, there was a scapegoat. There there was an animal that got sacrificed for your guilt and, and the sin. But then there was this other animal that they put their, the priest put his hand on that animal's head and he confessed all the, the, the shame and the guilt over this animal and then they would send him off into the wilderness and it was pictured that that, that goat was carrying the shame away. Do you know that Jesus is our scapegoat? Our shame that we're still burying, he wants to carry away, never to be remembered again. He paid a great price to do that for you. He doesn't want to to have you carrying that anymore. I love that Elizabeth said that he looked on me. He regarded me. He looked on me and took away my reproach. Oh, church, 
What is man that he is mindful of us? What is God that he is mindful of us? We're man. But he has looked on you. He has regarded you. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything that's been done to shame you. He knows all about you. You're a certain man. You're a certain woman that he knows deeply and intimately. He already knows the shame you've been made to carry. And he bore it for you on the cross of Calvary. Because he wants you to know that you measure up with him already. And you don't have to do another thing. And you already are, are, are he, he takes great pleasure in you. You don't have to measure up when it comes to him. He loves you just the way you are. He doesn't shame us. He, he, he doesn't guilt us. He's calling the treasure forward in you. He wants you to know that treasure that's in you and call it forward because you have buried it in shame. He's bore your reproach. He's bore it. But Elizabeth would have been living in shame. The society would have shamed her. Would have shamed her. The, the, the word says that they were old, they were well advanced in age. And, and so any chance now, while they could have been praying day in and day out, Lord, give us a child, give us a child, give us a child, there had to come a point in their life where they just stopped praying. We're too old now, all hope is gone, all our dreams have died. We can't even hope for that anymore. We can't even be expectant of that anymore. And I wonder if there's any dreams that have died in this room tonight. If there's something you've been asking God for, maybe you want a husband, maybe you want a wife, maybe you want a child, maybe you want a new job, maybe you've been asking him for something that's really big and all, and it just appears to be too late. Oh, can I just tell you, it's never too late with my Jesus. I, I love the picture of Lazarus. Well, he, he intentionally delayed after Lazarus died. He intentionally delayed two more days. Because he did that because the Jews believed that, that the spirit would, would hover around a dead person for three days. And then it, they would, it would jump back into him. That, that's what they believed, that it could go back into that person and, and bring life. But after four days, all hope was gone. And that's when Jesus shows up. I, I love that he intentionally waited for four days. I, I love it. I love that he shows up when all hope is gone. When, when, when Lazarus is dead and buried, when he's sealed away in the tomb, Jesus shows up and says, I'm God and there's nothing impossible for me. Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Dreams are never too far gone for my Jesus. You see, death may be your reality, but God is not limited to your reality. Uh, your, your, your son may be addicted, and that might be your reality, but my Jesus is not limited to your reality. Your marriage might be dead, but my Jesus is not limited to your reality. Your finances might be dead, but Jesus is not limited to your reality. You see, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they would have said, it's done, it's over, there's, there's no hope, our dreams are dead, it's hopeless. And so I, I love that you find them in the temple. I love that Luke says that they were blameless and upright. Because <laughs> you see, when our dreams die, when God doesn't perform the way we want him to, when he doesn't answer the way we think he should, when he doesn't give us what we've been asking for, sometimes we don't behave like that, do we? Sometimes there, there, there's a friend of mine who never missed Bible study, and she was very bitter and angry, and her life was hard, and she stopped coming. Because in her opinion, 
God ticked her off, and he's not doing what she wants him to do, and so she's not going to come to church. Well, my mom used to say, Rhea, you cut your, your nose off to spite your face. Your face, or is that the saying, cut your nose off to spite your face? Your face. And, and so we stop praying, or we stop going to church, or we, we stop serving the Lord. We stop loving him because he's not giving us what we want. <laughs> Oh, do, do I just love when, when Elizabeth says that the part, skip over a couple of verses where she says that, that, that the Lord has taken away my reproach. What word does she use there? The Lord. That word Lord, I looked it up this week in my Greek dictionary and it says, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. The possessor or disposer of a thing. The owner, the one who has control of a person. I, I love, I love that Elizabeth used that word well, when, when she said, the Lord has taken away my reproach. It tells me that the reason that they were still in the temple serving, the reason that they were still acting righteous and upright, the reason they were still looked at as being blameless, loving the Lord, is because they knew he was their Lord. He had the power of deciding in their life. They were owned by him. They, they were not owning him. They were owned by him. You don't tell the Lord what to do. He knows. He knows what you need before you even know you have need of it. And he wants to perfect all that concerns you. What if, you see, this is where the breakdown happens. What if you really believed that God had nothing but your best interest at heart? What if you really believed that God is good? What if you really believed that you were loved by him? What if you really believed that he was always acting on your behalf? You see, those are all true statements, but things that we don't believe deep down in our believer. Because then you'd rest in the fact that he owns me and that he is the decider in my life. And whatever you say, Lord, this is what I'm asking you for, but, but you know more than I do. You know what I need before I even know what I need. And so, Lord, whatever you decide, I just submit to you, Lord. And I thank you that you have my back. I thank you that, that, that you always act on my behalf, that you're good, that you're faithful, that if you haven't given me something, it's not because you're withholding good from me. What if you really believe that? I believe that Elizabeth believed that. And I believe that's why that they considered to, they, 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 um, they, they continually functioned serving the Lord, loving him, and no bitterness came into the picture. Because when you start questioning God's goodness, when you begin to question his faithfulness in your life, bitterness will come. Does anybody have the Amplified? Anybody have the Amplified Bible? Elizabeth, can you look up Jeremiah? Leslie, will you find that for me? It's, it's Google it, that Jeremiah scripture that I use. I think it's 1519 or 1518 or 13, is it? It's Jeremiah amplified only. I want you to find that for me. But, but um, what if we really began to believe that? So Zacharias was chosen, verse 8 and 9 says, uh, he was chosen by Lot. Uh, they, they used lots during that time because they believed that that was God's choosing. If, if they cast, whether they used a dice or whatever they used to cast lots, uh, that, that was God making the decision for them. And it was that Zacharias came up and it was his turn to, to, to burn incense in, in the uh, most holy place. 
Now stay with me here. 20,000 priests separated in 24 divisions. That's where the, the Abjava came from. 24 divisions. They would serve two weeks a year in the temple, a week at a time. And then all the, you know, Pentecost and, and, and those days. And so Zacharias, it just so happened that his week came up. Thanks. Just so happened that his week came up and, and he got chosen. And, and this was a big deal to get chosen to be the one to go in and put the incense in. In fact, it was such a big deal that you could only do it once in your whole life. Now remember, he's well advanced in years. All these years he never gets chosen. Now he gets chosen to go into to the most to, to the holy place. And, and you see why it was such a big deal is because nobody ever got nearer to the presence of God than the priest who was going to burn that incense. Because the incense was right in front of the veil that separated uh, the, the, the uh, presence of God from, from, from that holy place. Are you following me? We remember the picture of the tabernacle. The temple was set up the same way. And so for the priest to get selected to be the one to burn the incense, it was hotsy-totsy. It was a big deal. And so he got to go in to do that, and, and that's what he was doing when Gabriel shows up. So can you just imagine that they, they, they really believe that you've got to get in and get out quick because you've got to get in there, put the incense down, say the little prayer, and get out because God's presence, you don't mess with that, and you might just be knocked over in case you sin or something unconsciously while you're in there. Watch out. The fire of God will fall. And so, can you imagine I'm getting in there, going to burn this, get out quick, is what is on his mind. <laughs> and notice that the word says that the people wondered why he lingered. <laughs> I could park right there and preach all night on that one. That God wants us to linger in his presence. He, he doesn't want us to get in and get out. You see, that's where most of us are making our mistake. Where we're getting in and getting out quick, and, and, and he just wants us to linger. He, he wants us to linger in his presence. But Gabriel shows up when he's thinking, i got to get in and get out quick before something happens. And bam, there's Gabriel. Oh, can you just imagine? No wonder fear took possession of him. I just love it. And so he goes in. You know the story. They, 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 he tells him he's going to have a son. Zacharias questions it. He gets, he gets, he's not going to speak now until the son is born. And then he leaves and he comes out and now he has to bless the people. <laughs> I, I love it. And he opens his mouth because up until that point he hasn't said anything. And, and all he knows is Gabriel told him he was going to be dumb. And he goes out. He opens his mouth to speak the, the, the uh, blessing on the people and he can't speak. Oh, can you imagine nine months of that? Every time he wanted to speak, he was reminded of his unbelief. He was you see, sometimes I think we don't understand that our unbelief offends God. I think that we've lived with it so long that we forget our unbelief really offends God. You see, what if, what if I, I am a woman of my word? And, and I really take a little bit of pride that I'm a woman of integrity and that you can trust me to do what I say I'm going to do. We have a week, we have two weeks, Leslie, do we not, of back-to-back, -back, bam, 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 bam. I mean, we start tomorrow night, and it's for the next two weeks, we are gone almost every night ministering, and it's a, it is a hectic, hectic couple weeks. Uh, we need you to pray for us. But, 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 but I looked at that, and I was like, what were we thinking? But I'm a woman of my word. I'm going to fulfill those engagements. I want to back out. I want to say, do you have any idea how tired I am? But, but I'm a woman of my word. I mean what I say. But now what if I told you something? Or what if you told somebody something? And you really meant it. 
And they said, you know what, I, I really don't believe you. I, I don't believe you're going to do that. And they walked away from you and said, I don't believe she means anything she says. That Elizabeth, she, she doesn't mean anything she says. I can't believe a word she says. I know she told me that. I know she really has a history of being a truthful person, but I don't believe you, Elizabeth. What, what would happen to you if somebody did that to you? And that's what we do to God every single day. I know you said it, Lord. I know you say you're a, you're, you're, you're a God who does not lie. I know you mean what you say, but I just don't believe it. Can you imagine what that does to him? And so every time Zacharias opened his mouth to speak, he was reminded of his unbelief and how he had offended God with his unbelief. Gabriel says, the prayer that you've been praying has been heard. And and I bet Zechariah had to stop and say, what prayer is I praying? Because, you know, we stopped praying that so long ago because we're well advanced in age. I haven't asked you for a baby in a whole long time. Couldn't possibly be that prayer. God doesn't, your prayers don't hit the roof. They're recorded in heaven. He hears. I, I love that, 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 that we, I, oh, what did I pray tonight? I prayed when we were with the team that, 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 that he, um, what's the scripture? It's I'm drawing a blank. That we, we, basically we ask and he responds. He hears your prayers. He hears it. Now, I told you about Malachi. I want you to just flip back. Go back uh, into the Old Testament, the first, uh, the last book in the Old Testament before you get to Matthew. It's Malachi. I just want to point one thing out to you real quickly. Malachi, this is the last time we heard from a prophet before those 400 years of silence. And God says through Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple. Flip over to chapter 4, the last verse, the last words Malachi spoke on God's behalf. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike you with a curse. What does Gabriel say that's going to happen with John? Because God means what he says. 400 years later. He's still upholding his word. I told you that I'm going to send one to prepare the way of the Lord. I told you that a Messiah is coming. Your deliverer is coming. And I told you that, that this guy who's coming to prepare the, the way of the Lord, the first thing he's going to do is turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's going to bring restoration in relationships. He, he's, going to, he's going to excite the generations for the Lord. He's going to prepare. Can you imagine being told that? All week long, I've been thinking about, about, about John the Baptist. I said to Dave, can, can you imagine John the Baptist? Uh, uh, he's born, and he already has that call in his life. He's got the Holy Spirit already in him from the womb, and he has to wait all these years till Jesus is ready to, to embark in his ministry. And can you imagine? The Bible says he came out of the wilderness, and he didn't come. You see, John, remember, he's from a priestly stock. He could have been a priest. He, he would have had it right. But I love that he said, you know what? I'm not going to go through those motions. I'm going to do what's been called, that God has called me to do. And there's a call. Can you imagine Zacharias and Elizabeth telling him all their life, you're going to be great, John. You're going to prepare the way of the Lord. Many are going to turn back to the Lord because of you, John. You've got to be faithful. And I'm just here to tell you, church, that we need to prepare the way of the Lord. We need to turn people's hearts back. 
We, we need to start speaking truth. John came trucking out of that wilderness, and they didn't, they didn't, he didn't go into town to tell people this. They came to him. They flocked to him. Oh, we are misinformed if we think that people don't want to hear the truth. People, we, we think we have to preach a, a washed-down word, maybe a watered-down word because people might get offended and leave. I'm telling you, people want the truth. And John came boldly out of the wilderness preaching repentance. Change your ways. Oh, church, we've stopped preaching repentance. This baby was born, miraculously born to a barren couple because, because he was going to preach repentance, because the body needed to hear God's people needed to hear, you need to repent. You need to get your life back in order. You need to change directions and start going the other way. Little Kendall came to me this week, and she confessed something. And the next day she came and confessed basically the same thing again. And I said, Kendall, and she said, Mama, I'm sorry. And I said, really, Kendi? Because sorry doesn't just say, I got to get this off my chest. Sorry says, I'm going to change direction and go the other way. And you see, church, well, there's so many of us, yeah, I just got to get this off my chest, Lord. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling a little guilt over this. I really don't like the, the circumstances that I'm in. I'm sorry. Worldly sorrow will do that to you, but godly sorrow brings repentance, a change of direction. And church, we've got to start repenting. You say, well, my sins are covered with the blood of Jesus. They are. They are. But we just continue to smack him in the face, banking on that blood of Jesus and saying, you know what, Lord, I really am going to make a decision to, to change directions. Not because you won't forgive me, but because that, that, that's what a sincere heart does. That's what a heart with godly, with godly sorrow does. So John, so Zacharias and, and John, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, I, I didn't tell you this. I want to go back to their names because can you imagine all those years? And it must have been a lot of years. Every month, them believing for a baby. Every month, her calling Zacharias, the Lord remembers, and thinking, the Lord doesn't ever remember me. Every month of Zechariah saying to Elizabeth, uh, my God keeps his oath and thinking, yeah, right, you keep it for everybody else but me. Can, can you just imagine day in and day out living with those names? I love that the angel says, you know what, I'm going to name this baby. God is going to name him. And he wants him named John, not Zacharias. I know it's your first child, but, 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 I will, but God wants him named John, gift of God. Gift of God. You see, some of you have been barren for a long time. And you've stopped believing that God can do anything about it. And you're well advanced in years believing. And you've given up hope. You're not expecting. Your life is lifeless. Oh, somebody needs to tap the person sitting next to him and say, my, I'm barren right now, but God's working a miracle in me. God's conceiving a miracle in me. And can I tell you, I don't care how barren you are tonight. I don't care how lifeless you feel. I don't care how empty your life seems or how desolate it seems. Can I tell you that the God of, of Zacharias and Elizabeth is the same today. He is God and nothing's impossible for him. And he can take nothing and make something out of it he's conceiving a miracle in you do you believe it 
That baby came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not lifelessness. Not emptiness. Not barrenness. It's already been done. You just have to let him conceive it in you. I want to close with, with Elizabeth. And, and, and I, I kept thinking all week, she, she stayed in seclusion for five months. And why did she do that? I, I was struck by the number five because, you know, five is, is four plus one. And, and four, four is the number of creation. It's the number of us, man. And one is the prophetic number for God. Four plus one is five. God plus us is five. Okay, you follow me? She hid in seclusion for five months. Five is the number of grace. It's the number of redemption. It's the number of power. She hid for five months. I don't think it's a coincidence that for five months she was relishing in the grace and the redemption and the power of God in her life. Four plus one. Power. You plus God, not a minority, a majority. But I, I had to ask myself this week if, if the reason she stayed in for five months is because she just really couldn't take any more disappointment. And what if this thing in me miscarries? You see, I've had a miscarriage. I know what it's like to feel life in you and then suddenly have it stop. I, I know... I know the disappointment of that. I know the absolute pain and heartache of that. And, and, and after I lost that baby, uh, I conceived Kendall. And, and I barely enjoyed that pregnancy because I spent the whole time thinking, am I going to miscarry this baby? Is this baby going to die in me too? And so rather than being able to enjoy the life growing within me, I worried that I was going to miscarry it. And you see, that's some of you tonight. I just wonder, did Elizabeth worry? Did she think this is too good to be true? What if I miscarry? And some of you are so afraid to experience the life of God. Some of you are so afraid to let go of that shame of your past, of the reproach. I, I think it's Isaiah 61. Don't quote me. It's Isaiah somewhere, I think. And it says that... that Something about the, will you find it? Something about the reproach of your youth. I think it's 61, but I'm not sure. So that, that, that he's going to do away with the reproach of your youth. Some of you are still carrying reproach, shame from your youth, from things that you did way back when that you can't forgive yourself for. He's already bore it for you. And you're afraid to let him conceive life in you. Maybe you think you don't deserve it. Maybe you think you have to carry the shame and you don't deserve life. Maybe you're afraid you're going to miscarry it. Maybe it's too good to be true. If you really start living life, if you, if you really start living in the abundance that Christ has for you, then, then something bad's going to happen. And so rather than be disappointed, I just won't let myself enjoy it. Did you find it? Isaiah 54, 4. Fear not, another fear not. You shall not be ashamed. See, some of you are living in shame. Neither shall you be confounded, for you shall not be put to shame. He didn't come for you to be put to shame. For you shall forget the shame of your youth and shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. That's why he came. 
for you to forget your reproach and the shame of your youth. And for you to stop living barren and lifeless. And for you to begin tapping in to the life he died so that you could have. Hear me. I hear the John the Baptist anointing in me, preparing the way of the Lord, rushing out of the wilderness, saying to you, here is what he's done for you. Begin to walk in the fullness of it. Let shame go. Let him take it off of you tonight. Let him lift it off of you. Some of you are living in regret over what you did 30 years ago. It's time. Give yourself a gift this Christmas. No more shall you bear the reproach and the shame of your youth. Gift of God. My God who keeps his oath and the Lord who remembers. He's always faithful. He is always faithful. For Zechariah, I, I believe that he, what Gabriel was telling him was just too far-fetched for him to really believe. And that's why he questioned it. This is just too big. It's outside my box of being able to comprehend. We're too old to have a baby. doesn't make sense in the natural. How do you want me to believe something that far-fetched? And see, that's some of you tonight. You hear what I say but it's just beyond your comprehension. It's too far-fetched for you to really believe because in the natural, it looks impossible. That, that, that as a little boy, having a mother speak garbage over you and make you shamed and making you feel less than, making you feel like you'll never measure up, making you feel worthless and cast aside, that for me to tell you that you can, you can live free of that is way beyond your comprehension. I got some good news for you sent from the very throne room of heaven. He wants to free you from that. You don't have to stay stuck in that. You don't have to live barren because of that any longer. Let him conceive life in you. One last thing. Do you know that the word of God is, is referred to as the seed? That word seed in the original language is spermo. It's where we get our word sperm. What happens when sperm goes into a woman, conceives, right? God's word, spermo, is a seed that he wants to plant in you and have it conceive life. This is where you're going to find that life, right here. When you open up that word and that spermo gets deposited in you, it will conceive life. It will conceive it. It'll cancel out. All of those lies that have been spoken over you. All of those shameful things that have been said to you. His truth will override that. And it will begin to conceive life abundantly in you. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you. Father, I thank you that you can take the message that I spoke tonight and, and just bring sense to it. And you can wing it into the hearts and the minds of these men and women, Lord. That, that, that you, can, you can make it a rhema word to them. And I pray, Father God, for that to happen. I pray that even as they go home to their beds tonight, Lord God, and meditate on your word and, and the truths that were spoken, Father God, that it would just conceive life within them. Lord, that the death, the barrenness would be put away and new life would come. 
Father, I thank you for every man and woman here tonight. I pray, Father, for this Christmas season, for, for, for the reason for the season to become more and more real to them. Father, that they would just have a revelation that why you came, that you were, you were born to die because you thought them of such value and worth that you sent your only son to die on their behalf. Oh, Father, give us a revelation of that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Rhea or Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or call 414-581-8150. We pray God blesses you as you go and live out a fervent life.